Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 24th, 2016. Just a heads up, this will be the last episode of the week. As we uh, draw near to the end of Holy Week, uh, my pastoral duties ramp up. So when there becomes a conflict between the two vocations, pirate and pastor, sometimes the pirate has to sit and dry dock. Speak one of those times. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to, you know, open up our Bible uh, to check to see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose you know curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word said says, or if what they're saying actually doesn't square with what God's Word said, and they're generally twisting God's word and teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Now, like I said, today's episode will be the final episode of the week because of Holy Week. Uh, today is Monday, Thursday, tomorrow, Good Friday, and then uh, you got Easter coming up on Sunday. And my duties have, as a pastor have hit an all-time high as we approach uh, the end of Holy Week. I think it, it becomes something of a of a preaching marathon, if you and I'm doing my best to uh, keep up in the race. And so with today's episode, it'll be a light episode, and we're going to be listening to another my, one of my lectures from my uh, recent trip to Norway. And the name of the lecture is God is Holy. So I'll be talking about the holiness of God. So uh, with that, let's get into the program proper. Here is uh, one of my lectures from Norway on the holiness of God. Here we go. Lord God, you are holy. This is not good news for us at times, because we are so woefully aware that we are not. And yet, comfort us with your gospel this morning, and teach us that you have made us holy as you are holy. In the name of Jesus, amen. The holiness of God. I was really excited when I saw this topic they had asked me to do, because generally this is considered to be a Reformed topic. And so the ability for a Lutheran to play in a Reformed sandbox, well, the temptation is beyond real. So (laughs) I promise I will mess this up thoroughly in in a good Lutheran way. So 
Now remember what we've been saying, and that is, is quad non est biblicum, non est theologicum. That which is not in the Bible is not theology. So we cannot study the holiness of God as a philosophical abstraction. If you were to talk about it in a philosophical abstraction, you would come up with something similar to what the Japanese engage in in their culture. Have any of you traveled to Japan, familiar with their culture? The Japanese are obsessed with perfection, right? Perfection, is, if you would, is, well, a mirror. It's a, it's a form of, a parallel, a co- parallel concept to holiness. But I'm only speaking in abstractions because we're not looking at a biblical text, right? So you kind of get the idea. We're talking about something like this. So let's take a look at some biblical texts, get our bearings, and then consider the implications of what's being said. Now, Bjorn just read the first three verses of Isaiah 6. We will go back and we will revisit them. And we'll use Isaiah 6, if you would, the first few verses, verses 1 through 7, really, to give us a bearing on this, what God's holiness the impact that it has on us, and then look at another couple of passages to figure out if we can figure out a good definition of what this holiness is all about. Here's what it says, Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Yahweh sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Fascinating. Right there in the throne room of God, even the seraphim have to cover their face and their feet. They're in the presence of the holy God. And one called to another. And this actually bears saying in the Hebrew. Kadosh, 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 Yahweh, Saveoth. Melo ka haeretz kevodo. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful in Hebrew. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, a little bit of a side note. Why three holies? Why not one? Why three? Why kadosh, kadosh, kadosh? Because there are three. That's right. That's right. This is another one of those glimpses. Even in the Old Testament, you can see the Trinity. It's right there in the very, very first sentence of the Hebrew Bible, by the way, which requires me to do this. I'll show you this. Okay, Genesis chapter 1. Bereshit bara Elohim, et ha shemayim, va'eth ha eretz. Huh? Genesis 1 1. Bereshit bara Elohim. And this is fun. Very first word, Bereshit. This is, by the way, in the Hebrew Bible, this is the name for the book, Bereshit. It's named after the first word there, in the beginning. Be, in the beginning. Reshit, in, you know, so in the beginning. Created. Now, I don't think you can see the, the notes here, but here's what it, this is interesting. Created. To call perfect third person masculine singular verb. 
Now, the important part is the fact that it's singular. Singular. Normally, nouns and verbs agree, right? right? Here, the noun and the verb don't agree. We have a singular verb, and here's our noun, Elohim, plural. See, they're right there in the Hebrew Bible. First sentence of the scripture, you begin to realize there's something completely different about God. He's one, and he's three. First sentence. It's right there in the scriptures. But I digress. That was a, that was <clears throat> a bunny trail, if you would. So, the reason why we get kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, is because of the Trinity. There you hear it, holy, holy. Holy. Watch the reaction. So here we've got the seraphim, face covered, feet covered. Holy, holy, holy. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The holiness of God does not comfort us, not as sinners. The holiness of God terrifies us because of our sin. Here, that's the reaction of Isaiah. I'm undone. Watch what God does. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Can you hand me one of those coals? I'd like one of those. My sin atoned for? My guilt taken away? So that me... Sinner, an imperfect, unholy creature can stand in the presence of the Almighty and the Holy. Now notice in the way we're using this, you're getting a picture of what holiness is. In a very real way, holiness is the absolute perfection of God. Right? So you can see the interplay here between the perfect and the imperfect and how then God in His mercy Provides for Isaiah. Leviticus 11.44 says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore. And be holy, for I am holy. Great. How am I going to pull that off? You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming things that crawl on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy. For I am holy. You hear a passage like this and you think, I don't know how to get there. It's like saying, I need you to drive to Australia. Where are the roads that get me there? Right? I know of no bridges. Right? Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is not good news, right? This, I mean, you're starting to think, okay, what do I need to put on my to-do list here? 
How do I accomplish this? What materials do I need to build this? Are there any plans I can work from? Leviticus 27, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. So notice in the Old Testament, in these uh, passages in Leviticus, over and again we hear the command, be holy as I am holy. And here's a good cross-reference that's going to help us, and it's from the uh, teachings of Jesus himself. From the Sermon on the Mount, let me read a portion of it. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. Which, by the way, is great news. You just have to understand what he's talking about there. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, this is not good news. I mean, these Pharisees are really trying hard. I mean, these guys tithe all the way down to like you know the, the herbs in their garden. I mean, those guys are really righteous. How how is my righteousness supposed to exceed them? Right. We continue. So Jesus then explains. Well, you've heard it said to those of old, "You shall not murder." Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, notice how Jesus is talking as if he's God, right? I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoops. I've broken this. I've done these things. How about you? Yeah. This is not good news. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and then you be put in prison. Truly, amen, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Which is, in a sense, a very... thinly veiled allusion to hell. And Jesus continues, Well, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that every one of you who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body and be thrown into hell. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body go into hell. Oops. I've done that too. I'm not doing so good on this holiness thing. All these things that Jesus is preaching and saying not to do, well, I've done them. How about you? Huh. So what's the solution? I know, we should try harder. Maybe apply ourselves to the task a little bit more. You know, Right? Get an accountability partner, and we can really just forge ahead, the two of us, figure out how to solve this problem. We can go and make ourselves holy. We continue. Jesus said, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Well, I haven't done that. Whew. Feeling a little more holy now. Okay. All right. Again, you've heard it said that those of old, you shall not swear falsely, and you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All right, I'm feeling less holy again. My holiness is just plummeting, right? You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Hey, but I say, Jesus talking as if he's God because he is. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. But I know karate. Actually, it's Taekwondo, but okay. And if anyone uh, sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I'm feeling less holy even now. This is not working out well for me. I want to look at a different passage. Can we get a different text, please? I want to do another topic, Bjorn. This holiness thing isn't working out well for me. Why would you give me this one? Yeah. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And here's the echo of the book of Leviticus. You, therefore, must be perfect. Your heavenly Father is perfect. So now we have the key to unlocking this holiness thing. It's perfect. And notice, Jesus is putting his finger on the problem. He's done so very artfully. The problem is, we are not holy. If we were, he wouldn't need to be telling us Oh, you think you are holy because you haven't done this, that, or the other thing? Well, let's talk about what's going on inside of your heart, inside of your mind. Let's see how holy you really are. So Jesus here is preaching the law, and he's reminding all of us, what is the standard? The standard is the holiness, the perfection of God. Because God created mankind in the image of God. Before the fall. Do you think that Adam and Eve were not holy? They were holy. But this preaching of the law proves to us that we are not. All right, that's it. I think you guys should just repent. Try harder. Good luck. Yeah, I've got three easy steps, you know. Just apply these three principles that I've discovered all on my own, and you can become holy like me. Now you laugh, right? Because it sounds silly when I say it like that. But so much of Christian preaching, so much of Christian preaching, and this is very sad and tragic, rightly identifies the problem. We don't measure up. But wrongly gives the solution of try harder. Now, there is truly 
an aspect of Christianity where we strive to be holy. Don't think for a second that we do not engage in good works. We do. But we engage in good works for a completely different reason, and it has everything to do with the holiness of God. Now, let's take a look at another passage. Are you ready? We are going to look at the book of Colossians. Quod non est biblicum, non est theologicum. That which is not biblical is not theology. So let's pay very close attention to our words. Colossians chapter 1. A letter written to Christians or non-Christians. Which is it? Christians. This is written to Christians. Now, the occasion for the letter happens to involve something to do with the Judaizing heresy, a weird strain of it that had come to the Colossian church. Paul hasn't even been there, right? But watch what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Notice this phrase, by the will of God. Who willed for Paul to be a Christian, Paul or God? God did, right? Now watch this. Here's the important part. To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And everyone should be at this point going, Amen. And you're saying, but why should I be saying, Amen? Right? It's real simple. It's because of this word, saints. The Greek, hagios. Do you know what this word means? Hagios. Holy. To the holy ones, the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Writing to Christians. Now, I understand that Rome kind of thinks of saints in this way. Saint is somebody who goes out and really meritoriously excels in good works above everybody else. In the Roman system, people say, well, I'm no saint. Teresa might have been a saint, right? Pope John Paul II, they just made him a saint. This is nonsense. If you are in Christ, you are holy. Is this not what this text says? Am I wrong? And you say, but how can this be? How can I be a saint? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking the question. Let's keep reading. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Watch what he says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Uh Uh-oh, there's that faith stuff again. It's as if Galatians and Colossians have the same theology. You know what? They do. Yeah, right? Faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the... Who? Hagios. The saints, the holy ones, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. It is also It also does among you since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth. It, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. 
And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Now watch, that's an important phrase right there. Who has qualified you? Who has qualified you? According to this text. God, right. He is the one who says, I qualify you. You are my hagios. You are my holy ones. And you say, but I'm not holy. Yeah, I know that. But God has qualified you. He has made you holy. To share in the inheritance of the hagios, the holy ones, the saints in light. Now watch this. Love this passage. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He, God, has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Who who did the delivering? Who did the transferring? God did. Are you in Christ? Do you believe in him? Are you baptized, washed, redeemed, purchased? Well, good news. You are holy. You have been delivered from the dominion of darkness. You have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. And you have now, presently, it's in the bag. You can cash the check. The money's in the account. You have the redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. Now, all of a sudden, this holiness thing is starting to get exciting, right? The imperfect made perfect by the perfect. Now talking about Christ. Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. And that does not mean he's created. The Aryans out there are wrong. Firstborn of all creation means that he just had, he's like the preeminent one of creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And see, we understand this. Isaiah experienced it. We stood there and looked at the seraphim calling out, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. He knew he was undone. Why? Because God's holiness rages against our sin. Yet, Christ, in whom the whole fullness of the deity dwelt in bodily form, has made peace. Peace between us and God, the blood of his cross. This is why we can be holy. And you, you, 
who once were alienated, you who used to be hostile in mind, doing evil, he, God, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, and here it is again, watch this, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Mm. This is good news. As we know, conscience screams at us. We know we are guilty before God. These words speak to us, not wrath, not judgment, not hell, but peace, forgiveness, mercy, pardon, and grace. Notice how Paul is writing. He is not saying, now if you try really hard, and if you apply yourself really well, you might be able to have these things. No. He's saying you have them now. Be confident. Take heart. Stand firm. Believe. This is true. These words are true. And they're true for you. True for me. He has now reconciled in his body, flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And we all said, Amen. Amen. And now notice what he says. If indeed you continue in the faith, because salvation is by grace through faith. So continue in this faith. Continue to believe. Stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now this holiness stuff. Oh, yes. I've been made holy. You've been made holy. So now, because of this, because we are holy and reconciled, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Right? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. There it is again, his holy ones all over this text. Holiness of God given to you as a gift. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, he powerfully works in me.
All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back, balance up today's lecture on the holiness of God. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Holidays Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I love Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word, but his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me, it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. Radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. 
I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. Uh, I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm going to take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm going to have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever.
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your church teaches you that, well, that holiness thing, it's, you gotta earn it. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. We have uh, four uh, four ranks in our crew, and you get to choose your rank. It's based upon your monthly commitment. Uh, lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Master Gunner. I mean, sorry, Gunner's made at twenty four ninety five, Master Gunner at forty nine ninety five a month, and Quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month. This is a great way to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Helps us have a good, firm foundation uh, by which we're able to, uh, you know, budget properly, pay our bills, continue to stay on the air, meet our obligations, and hopefully expand. You know, our our uh, pirate empire, you know, not really, but we do want to expand, but it's not a pirate empire. And uh, and so that's a great way to support us. If you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of my uh, lecture on the holiness of God from Norway. Here we go. Chapter 2. Quod non est biblicum, non est theologicum. 
I have nothing to offer you unless I bring you the words of Christ. Right? I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Notice here these, this phrase, the full assurance. The full assurance. You can be assured. You have been reconciled and made holy. Understanding the mystery of God, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And see, there's the thing. The devil comes in and he comes up with these plausible sounding arguments as to why you should not be assured of your salvation and your holy standing before God. Forget the fact that the Apostle Paul says you've been made holy. Forget the fact that he keeps calling you the holy ones. Just ignore that. We've got a plausible argument here. You can't possibly be holy because just take a look in the mirror. We know that you have pimples and warts and you cannot possibly be holy. Right? That's a plausible sounding argument. Right? So he's going to warn us. For though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. What a great word, firmness, with no noodly faith in Christ, no squishy faith. We want firm, solid trust in Christ, believing the promises of God that I have been made holy, reconciled, forgiven, redeemed. We say these things with firmness. We don't say, well... I hope that I'm forgiven. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, this, no, none of that. Anathema. <laughs> Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were ta- taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now we get into the real meat and potatoes part. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. You see, we can have firmness, assurance, confidence in Christ, keeping our eyes on Christ. You see, faith, let me give you two analogies about what faith is. Faith is a lot like eyesight, right? right? And what I mean by that is that faith always has something that it's looking to, looking at, looking towards. So what, my, fa- my question is, what is your faith looking at? Is it looking at your moral improvement? Is it looking at Christ? Is it looking at something else? Our faith is to look only to Christ. Another way you can think about it is that faith only has one hand, only one. It can only hold on to one thing at a time. You will, it will either hold on to Christ or it will hold on to something else. What's your faith holding on to? Paul is focusing us on Christ. This is why when philosophy comes, you don't take your hand off Christ and say, okay, philosophy, I'll go with you, right? 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you were also circumcised. Yes, you women too. You've been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Christ has circumcised your heart. Where? Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Our Christian circumcision takes place in the waters of baptism. Christ is the one who circumcises our hearts. This is what this text says. And this is good news for us. And you, you who were dead. Notice the past tense. You was dead. You ain't dead no more. You was live. Yeah? Exactly. Grammar, it's good stuff. Nouns, verb, past tense, future tense. It's all important. So, you who was dead, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. And here is a super important verb. God has made you alive together with him. And the him is Christ. Now, this (laughs) this Greek word, this verb, I mean, this is a crazy verb. Uh, Paul invented it. This, This verb only appears in Pauline writing. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because it's just ridiculous. It's like Legos. You, know, you take Legos and you stick a whole bunch of Legos together. It's like ten Legos all stuck together, all a bunch of different words. You know, he invented this word. But this is a great word because here's what this verb says. Who is it that made you alive? It says right there. Here's here. God. God. God made you alive. Did you make you alive? Do you know anybody who, after being buried at the graveyard, they put the stone up, has walked out of the grave? What if they really want to really bad, though? I really want to get out of this coffin. I mean, just apply themselves to the problem. They'll be able to figure out how to dig their way out, right? We don't know anybody who's done this. I don't see anybody selling groceries to the dead. Yeah? They're very low-maintenance. It doesn't cost a lot of money to, to take care of them year after year, right? There's a reason for this. But see, that was all of us. We were born graveyard dead spiritually. And graveyard dead spiritually people are incapable of raising themselves from the dead. And so the verb says, God has made you alive. Oh, this is good news. God has made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How many of our trespasses has been forgiven here? Some? All. All. Well, that's kind of arrogant of you. I mean, really, you think all of your sins, every one of them has been forgiven? I guess that's what the text says. Hmm. Boy, this is giving me more confidence by the minute. I'm beginning to feel really holy. If all of my sins are forgiven, 
maybe it is true that I am a Hagioi, right? And here's how he's done it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. Now, this is a fascinating thing to read in the Greek. The record of debt that stood against us. It's talking about pages in a ledger. Now, those of you who've talked to me personally, you might know that I do not have a love for math at all. I think math is evil. It's true, I do. Now, in America, they like to make jokes about attorneys, okay? You know, those who give you legal counsel. Attorneys, apparently, are like the butt end of every joke. And everyone seems to think that they're, well, evil. It's as if there won't be a lot of attorneys in heaven. And there may not be. And I understand this. Right? But the evilest of the evil is the accountant who's writing all this stuff down. Okay? Because somewhere in the heavenlies, I don't know where this being is, there's some creature writing down. In a book, accountant style, every single transgression I've ever committed. Take that being and just wring its little neck. Evil accountant, right? Now, I have no idea who's doing this, right? But, you know, we all know what's going on here because what does it talk about in the last day? What happens at the last day? The day of judgment. What does it say? The books are open. I know what's in my book. Bet you know what's in your book, too. Yeah. There's some stuff in there. I'm really hoping they don't read it out loud. Quite embarrassing. You may not think I'm very holy, I find out. See, here's the idea. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Notice it says this. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And now we get the picture. You see, those of us who are in Christ, whose hearts have been circumcised by Christ, those whom God has made alive in Christ, oh, your books are still there. But you see, there's half of the book that has all of your transgressions. The other half, all of your good works. Right? But here's the best part. All of the pages that document every single one of your sins, they've been ripped out of the book. That's what this text says. All of your sins. The accountant's work was for naught. Totally wasted his time. Yes. All right. And then what Christ does is he takes those and he puts them on the cross. Dink, dink, dink. And then he writes with his own blood. Debt paid in full. what it says so when you stand on the day of judgment oh beloved of christ whom he's purchased redeemed all of those pages of your transgressions they're gone every single page the only thing that is left is every single good work that you've done There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, Christ has set aside and he's nailed it to the cross. 
Is this not good news? You are holy. And by this, he's disarmed the rulers and authorities. And here he's talking about the demons and the devil, the accusers of the saints. They've been disarmed. They've been silenced. And they've been put to open shame. And he is triumphed over them. He is victorious. Therefore, because of this, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. That's right. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with what you eat or drink. Nothing whatsoever. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But let the substance, it belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels or going on in details about visions and puffed up in their mind without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. Sounds like charismatics, right? It should. That's what he's talking about. First century charismatics, going on and on and on. And they're not focusing on who? Christ. Oh, I had a dream last night. I'm following the glory. There was a glory cloud and gold dust fell and feathers and woohoo. Right? Their faith is not looking to Christ, their faith is looking to these experiences. And Paul warns us don't let anyone disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason, right? Not holding fast to the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with the growth that is from God. So if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and oh, indeed, you have, you have, why, as if you were still living in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Here's the elemental spirits of the world thing. This is the explanation. Here it is. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that perish as they're used, according to human precepts, human teachings. Well, these indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Ah, but watch this. They're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh at all. Bums me out that Christianity, in my lifetime, has come to basically mean I'm a Christian. That means I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't drink, go with girls who do. Right? Paul right here says this has nothing to do with Christianity. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to these things. You have freedom in this. And all of these rules that are made up by man, they look, they look pious. But he says, these are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Just simply saying, don't, 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 don't. Makes me want to do, 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 do. Yeah? Yeah? I'll show you. Yeah. Right? No value whatsoever in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3. But watch this. Let's talk about true walking out of the holiness we have. So if then you have been raised with Christ, and have you? Have you been raised with Christ? Yes? No? Yes, absolutely. And our baptisms were buried with Christ. We're raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. So if then you have been raised with Christ, here's how you live out a holy life. 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. The things on the earth are perishing. God is eternal. The things on earth are unholy. God is holy. Focus on Christ. Set your minds on the things that are above. For you have died, and you have, you're dead. Amen. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Best place to be on the last day, a Christian graveyard. Imagine the joy. When we spring from our graves, death will not have the last say. When we say goodbye to our Christian family and friends, it is never goodbye. It is always, see you later. See you on the other side. Meet you there, right? So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Put it to death. Kill it. Mortify your sinful flesh. That includes sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness. This is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath is coming of God, the wrath of God. In these two, you once walked. You no longer walk in these things because you're in Christ. You've been made alive. Walk as one who is alive, but to death, the sins of your flesh, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Ah, that's an important one right there. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. So put on then as God's chosen ones. Here it is again. Holy. You are holy. You see, true Christian sanctification understands that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. And because we have been saved by grace, we have been made alive by grace through faith. And now by grace through faith, we now walk in holiness because we are holy. You are holy Therefore, you live as holy. You don't try to be holy so that you can be holy. That's silly. You are holy already. Be what you are. Put off the old self. You already have the new. Keep it on. You are holy. Live as holy. This is all by grace through faith because God has done this in you. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Pause there for a second. Here's the idea. Christianity has a faith, hope, and a love, right? Faith, hope, and love. Greatest of these is love. So here we're hearing about love, love that flows from faith, connected and grounded in our hope. Let's talk about our hope for a second. Our eschatology, I don't know what your eschatology is, whether it's amillennial, premillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, it's all tribulation to me, right? Yeah? Okay? Look beyond all of that, the future Jerusalem comes out of heaven and the announcement that God has now made his dwelling place with man, right? New heavens, new earth. And understand this, that when you walk as you are in Christ as holy, all of your good works now are a glimpse into what it will be like then. Right? A world without end where everybody truly loves everybody. No sexual immorality, no lying, no cheating, no stealing, no backstabbing. All of the nonsense of our sinful natures gone forever. A bad memory that we'll never recall to the top of our minds, right? And so when we walk as the holy ones that we are, we are bringing the future kingdom into our present reality now. And it's glorious. It's beautiful. And it's not under compulsion. It comes willingly from the heart because of who we already are, because of what Christ has already done. You are in him. You don't hope to be in him. You are made alive. You are holy. These are great pictures that we have in this text. And now the question comes up. Those of you who were with me at lunch, I apologize for the redundancy, but repetition is a good way to learn, right? What are our good works? What is a good work? So many people have the wrong ideas about good works. Well, a good work is if I go and do this thing, I go and do that thing. The Bible defines the good works for us. And so what is a good work? Watch this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This is a good work. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. This is a good work. Children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. This is a good work. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is a good work. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
This is a good work. Now, none of us are in slavery, at least that I know of. Anyone here a slave? No? Okay. How about an employee? Yeah? Do you work for somebody? Consider your employer your master. Fourth commandment. Honor them, serve them, obey them. And work not to please your employer. Please Christ. This is a good work. And you do this because you are holy. You are forgiven. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly, fairly, knowing that also you have a master in heaven. So think of it this way. What's a good work? You parents, changing dirty diapers, this is a good work. God wills for them to not have poopy diapers. Yes. Teaching them their ABCs, their one, two, threes, helping them with their homework. Dressing them and sending them off to school. Making sure that they're fed and they're healthy. Taken to the doctor. Loving your spouse. Serving them. Actually, serving each other. Working hard at your work. You'll notice all of our good works are done in the ordinary doesn't say here, now go to Rome and fast for eight days. Make sure to visit the relic of St. Barnacle. And while you're at it, say 14 Hail Marys. These are good works. No, nothing like this, right? It's all in the ordinary, in the mundane. Why? Because God is the one who's made all of these institutions. God wills for the world operate orderly, and for those of us who are holy to love and serve each other and to do so in our vocations. So know this, that among us right now are some people who have way more good works than they could possibly imagine. You think that you're going to stand before God on the last day and you think, man, I don't even know if I've done any good works. Trust me, the book's going to be open and your jaw's going to hit the ground and you're going to go, I had no idea. I had no idea. Right? And there's kind of a glimpse of this in the, in the book of Matthew on the great day, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, right? Jesus says to the sheep, you know, come you who are blessed of my father. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And the sheep go, really? When did we do that? Really? Because if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So understand this. Every time you clothe your baby, change your diaper, you're changing the diapers of Christ. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm not making that up. Right? These are little Christian children. You are in, in the name of the Lord, you are doing these things for them. He wills for them to be done. And he takes the good works that you are doing for others in the name of Christ. And he likens it to you doing it to him himself. And he repays beautifully for all of these graces. I remember one time I was talking with some big box mega church pastors. I have a tendency to get them upset. Um, and uh, I was at one of their conferences and uh, they knew I was there and they asked me to lunch. And we steered in the conversation into this topic on good works. And so I opened up a passage like this, and I showed them, these are our good works, you know, all this mundane stuff. 
And one of them was really upset and very mad. And he said, no, it, those can't be good works because anybody can do those. But non est biblicum, non est theologicum. It's not in the Bible. It's not theology. Yes, anybody can do these. The, the reality is, is that if you're not in Christ and you're not holy, no matter how many of these mundane things you do, they amount to naught because you're still breaking the first table of the law. You will have no other gods before me. And that reconciliation with the holy God only comes through the shed blood of Christ and penitent faith in him. So today, as you consider your life, as you get ready in the next couple of days to leave this facility and go back out into your vocations, know this, that you are forgiven and you are holy as God is holy because he has made you holy. You are perfect as God is perfect, as Christ has made you perfect. And because of this, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and scribes because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The holiness of God is no longer something that causes us terror and causes us to be afraid. It is something that comforts us because it now is the very clothing that we have been given, the holy garments that we have given to us by God and Christ. And because we are holy, we can now walk in our mundane existence, knowing that God sees all of our good works as earthly and as simple as they are, and he considers them the very treasures of heaven, all because we are in Christ. The holiness of God, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And you have it. Now, by grace, through faith. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.